Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and hello Facebook fans and friends. Welcome to the show. It is so great to have you. We have another exciting show, right? Every week I tell you we have a great show. We have an awesome show. We have an exciting show. This one's going to be fun though, right? Because we're going to talk about, I, listen, I know that all of you at one point or another have thought, gosh, should I write a book? I think I can write a book. I want to write a book. I am writing a book. But then you don't know what to do with it. You're not sure what to do with your ideas. You're not even sure if you should go through with it. Well, today I am telling you we are going to answer some of those questions and more for you. And it is going to be outstanding. I'm going to have Antoinette Kuritz with me. She's the founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference in La Jolla, California. And she's also part of this big team from Strategies PR, www strategiespr.com you need to go check that out but before we get to her we're going to do what we do every single week and that is we're going to check in with the four areas of your life you know i say it every week look we are four-part people we are physical people we are mental people we are emotional people we are spiritual people whether you want to believe that or not is absolutely true and we kind of got to think of those as four legs of a chair right the physical the mental emotional and spiritual it's four legs and depending on how out of balance we are depends on how even that chair is or how low that chair is or how high that chair is. So let's check in with you today. Physically, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you're awful physically, 10 being, man, I can't get any better, where are you at today? And when I ask that question, I'm asking you things like not only how you're physically feeling, but what are you doing for your body? Are you eating right? Are you eating better? Are you improving how you're eating? Are you getting some exercise? Are you going to the gym? Or maybe you're just taking some extra walks or doing some extra things for yourself. How's the cardio going? How's the strengthening going? If you're on some sort of a special diet regimen, how are you doing on your diet regimen, right? And remember, the goal here is not that I'm not trying to get you from a one to a 10. If you're a four right now, if that's your number, if your number's a four, it's okay. How are you going to get to a 4.5? That's 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 the key. The goal here is if physically you're at a 4, how can you get to a 4.5? Can you change how you're eating? Can you do a little extra exercise? What is it that you can be doing for yourself to improve your direction in the physical part of your life? All right, that's one. Okay, now let's move on to mentally. On a scale, 1 to 10, 1 being not so good, 10 being awesome. How are you doing mentally? And when I say mentally, what I'm asking you is how are you feeding your brain? What are you doing to learn? What are you doing to expand your knowledge? How are you improving in that knowledge area? How are you improving the right side of your brain? Are you doing things that are creative? That's the right side. Are you working on those logic skills? That's the left side. Or do you just go, I don't want to deal with it, right? Because the whole point right of, of developing our brain is that we could develop our brain at any time in our life it doesn't matter where, where you're at in your life we can always be learning something new and growing in what we do mentally and so where are you at on that scale of one to ten mentally right what are you reading are you reading maybe you should take it up are you learning a new language how about playing the guitar or, or maybe another instrument all those things contribute to your growing yourself mentally all right three emotionally where are you at emotionally right now are you emotionally under control? Are you able to control your emotions better than others? Listen, listen. I'm going to be the first one to admit that some days are better than others. Okay, so maybe emotionally I am maybe a four or five today, right? When typically I like to see myself at about a seven, right? Because I just let life kind of get to me emotionally and little things start to tick me off and I'm not in control the way I should be in control. That happens to all of us. But how am I going to improve it, right? So, you know, I've got to take a look at myself. Sometimes exercise can help me emotionally, right? Also, how in tune are you with others emotionally? Can you tune into others' emotions, right? If you, The better we can do that, the better we are as people, the better you're going to be in business, the better you're going to be in your own career. 
just tuning in emotionally. So where are you at in that scale of one to 10? And then finally, where are you at spiritually? Right. And when I say spiritually, I know everybody, the first thing they go to is, oh, Jay, I don't believe in God. And, and then many of you out there go, I do believe in God. So I'll speak to those people first. Okay. Listen, if you do have believe in God, you know, how is that relationship going? How, how is that spiritual part of your life? Are you experiencing joy and peace? And if you're not somebody who believes in God, I promise you, you're connected to something else. You believe or have faith in something, even if it's yourself that you believe controls your own destiny. Right. Which, by the way, if you believe in yourself, that makes you your own God. So that's kind of true. Right. Because if you believe in that. But some people believe in money. Some people believe money is the answer to everything. And they have a relationship with money that they believe they do. Some people are connected to nature. Some people are connected to love. Some people are connected to a variety of things. And how are how are you doing in the, that area that is helping you grow? Are you getting a sense of peace and are you getting a sense of where you are in this world and how it all connects? Because, folks, as I say all the time, science is great because, listen, I have an S after my M in my graduate degree and I studied that way. I studied as a scientist, but I understand one thing. Science can't explain everything. It's just not possible. So that tells me that we're connected to something that's outside of ourselves that we believe in, that we have faith in, that helps us become more motivated and moves us in different ways. So how are you doing in your spiritual world? And remember, folks, right, this is all about balance. This is about making sure that we're in balance and in tune and doing what we need to do that's best for ourselves in order to be better for others, right? So how are you doing in your areas of life? I'll let you evaluate that for yourself. But... I've got to get to our next guest because, well, before I do that, let me let me just sh shout some statistics at you. Did you know that there are over one million new books published last year? Over one million, right? That's over 10 times the number they had in the last five years. The growth of the book industry is huge and it spawned the growth of, well, what do we say? Less than expert experts as well as out-and-out out book crooks, <laughs> that's kind of funny. For over two decades, Antoinette Kuritz, book developer, publisher, media coach, author, founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference, has made it her business to assist writers of all levels get their words into print while avoiding the rip-offs in the world of traditional electronic and self-publishing. And so we're going to be talking to her, and how coincidental is it that when I start talking to her that I need to let you know that today's show is brought to you by... The La Jolla Writers Conference. Yeah, www.lajoyawritersconference.com. And whether you're an aspiring author who has yet to put pen to paper, someone intent on writing a book to augment your business, which I did, a writer on the cusp of submitting to agents, or someone who wants to know more about, more about the different never-evolving methods of publication, you need to go to the La Jolla Writers Conference. That's October 26th through the 28th. That's at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla, California. For nearly two decades, uh, this place is a community of intimate classes, personalized attention, ambiance, and dedicated and outstanding faculty have annually converged to provide an intensive experience where writing becomes habit, habit breeds success, and writers become authors. And that's who brings us our show today. And now I've got to introduce to you, right? And, and she told me, she said, oh God, she said, that you know, my bio is so long, I don't care. You know, because this is my show. I get to do what I want to do on this show. So An Antoinette Kurtz is a literary publicist. She's a book developer. She's a publisher. She's a founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference. She has been on KUSI TV in San Diego, a book expert and host of the Writers Roundtable radio show. My book, Got Social Meniology, actually was on that show. Her clients range anywhere from new writers to New York Times bestsellers. She and her colleagues help authors uh, hone ideas, define audiences, build platforms, decide the best route to publication, providing publishing assistance, distribution rights, advice, and PR and marketing, the goal of her firm, Strategies Literary Development and Public Relations, otherwise www.strategiespr, is to educate authors like me and you and publishers while assisting them in making the best possible decisions for their writing and publishing career. So when she's not engrossed in this whole book thing <laughs> and manuscripts or working with clients, Antoinette speaks on writing and publishing throughout the country. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Antoinette Kuritz. Antoinette, welcome to A New Direction. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. You know, you know everybody wants – listen, I, I think everybody wants – 
if, if they were being honest with themselves. I think they go, man, I, I want to write a book. Or they're told, like I was, I was told, you need to write a book, right? I, 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 was, I was barking on my speaking career and wanted to get it started and off the ground. And I was being coached. And the first thing uh, Alex Sharfin, who was coaching me at the time, said, you need to write a book, right? Why are we so fascinated with this whole idea of writing a book? A book gives you creds. It makes you an automatic expert or authority. If, and here there's a caveat to that, if you do it right. But may I digress for one second? Sure. I loved your opening. Thank you. I just loved it. Such important stuff you covered, especially the spiritual. If you don't feed your spirit, everything else falls apart. <laughs> I could not agree more. You know, do, you know, do you know how many guests? I, I have guests, authors from all over uh, the United States that are have been on the show. And every one of them has said, the exact, it has done it the same way. They have said to me, can we stop for a second? <laughs> and they, literally, they do. You listen to the podcast, the rerun of the show, and they will go, I was, I was evaluating myself through these four areas. This is really cool. I need to be doing this on a more regular basis, evaluating where I'm at and how what I need to do to change. And everyone does that. And I, I, it's something I learned actually in a church group many, many, many years ago. And when I say many, over 20. And it's something that has stuck with me that I take when I consult clients or consult businesses is to check in with them. Because I know wherever they're at with you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I know wherever you're at with those things, those numbers will tell me a lot what I'm going to deal with in that day as a consultant. Absolutely. Right? So, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, Antoine, I have, I have this theory and you tell me if I'm wrong on my theory. I have this, this theory that there are three types of people. There, there are those people that want to write a book. There's those people who have written a book. <laughs> and then there's those people who have published a book. Right, I, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of how I see it. I, 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 because a friend of mine, who is an author and has authored several books here in the Raleigh Durham area, his name's Marty Clark, and he wrote a book, Communication Landmines, and has written a few after that. And he, the first thing he wrote me was a private letter as soon as we published our book, Got Social Mediology, who I published with you, was the first thing he said to me is, "You've, you know, you've crossed over the line." because you're published and 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 there's a crossing but there's so many people out there I, I, a young lady even last night when I was talking about the show on my social media came to me and said I want to write a book I have a book in mind and and then I, I talked to a lady at a conference last week in Baltimore who said well I've written a book but it's but she hasn't done anything with it and so I recognize that people who have written books and are published it this whole this whole notion of writing books, I don't understand. Maybe I do, but it's powerful for us. Is it because that is there something inside us that naturally wants to get ourselves out into the world? What do you What do you think? I, I think people want to be heard. I think it's a natural instinct to want to be heard, and by writing a book, you're finding another platform on which to be heard. I mean, think about it. You were you were starting kickstarting your speaking career. You've been a you've taught in colleges. You've done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only be in so many places at once. There are a lot of people who are going to listen to your podcast. There are people who are going to follow you on social media. But having a book out there gives you yet another platform on which to be heard. And I think a lot of us either have a story to tell, or we have some instruction to give. And whatever it is that we feel we have a value to bring to other people, we may put into a book. Now, I've had people say to me, I'm not published, so I'm not really a writer. That's not true. As, as long as you're putting a, a pen to the paper or fingers to the keyboard and writing, you are a writer. Mm. But there is a difference between a writer and a published writer. Mm. Mm. So go That's, ahead. And, and, I think I think what I'd like to say here is that some books aren't meant to be published. Oh. And you also have to realize that. You may want to write a cookbook for your family with all your family recipes. Right. Is that meant to be published for the greater greater world? Maybe not. 
you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so I mean, when do we? How do we make that decision process? I mean, do do we do we go okay? I mean, if we be because it's hard to be honest with ourselves in the book in the book world. I mean, I think there's a lot. I think what you're saying is there's a lot of us who want to put our stuff out there, but is it really something we should publish? But how do we make that decision? First of all, there are no great writers. There are only great rewriters. If you're not willing to edit and re-edit and then re-edit your book again, don't publish it. Don't expect to garner a readership. And part of the problem, I love the democratization of publishing. I love the fact that anybody can publish an e-book. Anybody sure. can publish a print-on-demand book. You can go up to Create Space, and, and now I think it's KDP that's changed in the last few weeks. It has. But anybody can put a book up online, hard, hard copy or ebook or audiobook. Right. But if you're not willing to do it right, don't expect to get anywhere with it. And that is everything from the editing to the cover design. You want a book that's going to stand up to the standard set by the major publishing houses. And if you're not willing to do that, then write your book as a hobby. Right. But to become an author, an author of note, you have to treat this like a business. And it's very hard for some people because while you're writing, you're thinking of yourself as an author, as an artist, or as a purveyor of information. When you put on your publishing hat, if you're going to self-publish, you need to start to understand the business of publishing. And again, what I go back to is there's no great writers there are only great rewriters. I'm reading a manuscript right now. It is a great manuscript. Right. The person whose manuscript it is wants to self-publish it. Right. And I think he should. Sure. Um, he just got his first cover designs back. Seven cover designs were sent to him by someone who has labeled themselves a cover designer. Right. They are all awful. <laughs> awful. And I had the... I had the uncomfortable job of saying to him this morning, you've written a really, really good book that deserves a far better cover right. than the covers you've paid for. Right. No, I, 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 you know? I, I do. I get it. I get it because, you know, you know, we're on our uh, second, third, and fourth book all coming out really at the same time. And what, what I try to explain to people when they ask me, you know, I'd love to write a book. And I tell them, well, do you know how many edits I have gone through? I said, not only have we done several passes with an editor, I mean a real editor, somebody who I interviewed who is an editor of books. Not only have we went several passes, then I had it independently edited, meaning somebody who's not even attached to the project has gone through and edited the editor. Then it goes back to my editor. They edit it. And then if you have a legitimate book somebody who does legitimate book covers and interior design, they actually kind of go through it in, you know, because they're trying to get a feel for the book and what the cover should be like a legitimate cover person designer. And they will even occasionally come back to me and say, you know, I think you may want to look at, you know, page 37, paragraph four, because I think Mm -hmm. you want to consider rewrite. And then it goes back to my editor again and they're, and they're re-editing again and and listen, I think it's a to me. I get it. For me, for me personally, I know that I can convey an idea that's great. But I also know that many times my grammar and my periods and my commas and I don't even know where a semicolon goes half the time, and and I have run on paragraphs because I literally sit down at my computer and I write. I just I don't think about anything. I think about what I'm writing and I write it and I trust my editor because I pay them good money to edit the material and 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 people have a hard time with this they i i and, and it boggles my mind why they can't get past the idea that editing becomes so and not just editing what about the developmental editing process i had to go through that four times there's there there's several kinds of editing i i i need to put this out there that with the democratization of publishing meaning with the growth of self-publishing and the acceptance of self-publishing. Because it used to be in the 80s, if you self-published your book, nobody really wanted to hear about it. Now nobody cares. All book clients on media, even national media, with their self-published books. I, I can't, can't tell you the last time a, a producer said to me, 
who published the book. Nobody cares anymore. So long as, as the guest has great content right. and the book looks good. Right. So that said, a whole industry, a multi-billion dollar industry has grown up of people surrounding the publishing industry and they put themselves out there as editors and book shepherds and book designers and cover designers and, and this, that, and the other. And I, I would say three quarters of them if there was licensing for this, right. wouldn't get a license. Wow. They're, they just don't know their stuff. I went to a meeting of an editor's group a while back, and I said, how many of you, I was asked to speak, and I said, well, how many of you are content or developmental editors? Right. Everybody raised their hand. How many of you are line editors? Everybody raised their hand. And now they were beginning to look perplexed. And I said, how many of you are copy editors? And everybody raised their hand. And I said, you cannot be all three. <laughs> so let's go through this. Would you yeah. like me to explain yeah, what each I, of these I, people does? Yeah, let's do that. And I had to explain to a group of people who say that they are editors what each different kind of editor does. Well, can we, do we have time and to do it? And they didn't know. But they were out there promoting themselves as editors. So if you are getting into publishing, self-publishing your book, you need to know these things. It's part of why I started the La Jolla Writers Conference many years ago. When I went to start it, I, I called together a group of people who I knew who had taught at great conferences around the country. And they sat around my dining room table and I said, I'm thinking of starting a conference. And they all said, you're out of your mind. There are 1,600 conferences already. I said, and I wanted to cover the art craft and business of writing and when i said the business of writing one man laughed so hard at me that his dining room chair went backwards and he made a hole in my dining room wall <laughs> they thought i was out of my mind two years later publishers weekly named us one of the 84 conferences in the country worth your money because we do a great job of covering the business of writing Love it. people need to understand it they need to know who their publishing team should be and how to vet the members of their publishing team so great. Hey, we're talking to Antoinette Kuritz, and she is the founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference. And I want to tell you, it's, it's a coincidence, is it not, ladies and gentlemen who are watching live on Facebook, that today's show, as been last week's show and the week before show, have been brought to you by what else? The La Jolla Writers Conference. And it is October 26th through 28th at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla, California. And the conference is a non-commercial Meaning that you're not going to be, you know, vendors aren't going to come and knock you over to buy something from them. It's informal and intimate with a maximum of 200 attendees. And the entire faculty and staff, including our best-selling authors, publishers, agents, screenwriters, writing and PR experts, they're all volunteering their time and are available that entire weekend, providing over 70 classes from which to choose. The classes include lectures, an interactive group, an individual read and critiques. The La Jolla Writers Conference was among the first conferences to, I'm stealing what you just said, the La Jolla Writers Conference was among the first conferences to address the business of writing in response to the changes in the publishing industry. In a field of over 1,600 conferences that you just heard Antoinette talk about, Writers Digest named La Jolla Writers Conference one of the 84 conferences worth your money. And by the way, you can sign up by just going to www.lajoyawritersconference.com. Again, that's the 26th through the 28th this year at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla, California. And La Jolla, by the way, for some of you who don't, because I know I have listeners even on the East Coast, uh, and you're probably thinking there's some sort of Y or something or you know something like that. It's not. It's L A, J O L L A. So, La Jolla Writers Conference. You need to check that out. I really highly, highly suggest it. If, it. if you are someone who is really serious about this book industry, somebody who's serious about writing a book because you really believe in what you're doing and you think this is the right thing, I, I'm just telling you, go to www.lajoyawritersconference.com, sign up, get out there because it, it's going to be something fabulous for you and you're going to enjoy it. So Antoinette, so let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this question because... I know that I have a lot of people who say, well, why can't I just hire a college English major to be my editor? Because <laughs> most of them don't. First of all, when it comes to copy editing, um, most people these days really don't understand. Let me ask you a question, Jay. Sure. If I said her dress was an incredible shade of purple, right. 
And I put purple in quotes at the end of the sentence. Where did the period go? Inside the last quote or outside the last quote? Mm. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say outside. It would go outside. Most people will put it inside, and most editors will leave it inside. Because we're not putting quotes around the whole sentence. We're putting quotations around one word. Um, I was an English teacher for many years. And I know grammar inside and out. And when I take on a client, I read their book and I do the first round of editing on it. I clean it up. I'll let them know if there are inconsistencies and if the book makes sense, if, it's, if, it, if, if there is a flow to the book. That's content editing. As I go through, to me, grammatical and, and typographical errors are like nails on a chalkboard. I will fix whatever I see. But I will not tell them that I will edit their book because I am not an editor. I will not do that. I will then, after I've made comments on the manuscript because I can't help but do it, I will then turn them over to a real editor. We had the, I don't remember whether it was at the La Jolla Writers Conference or on my radio show, but it was in a conversation with Michael Connolly, and Michael Connolly is a great writer. He has been on the New York Times list for years. At the top of the list, his books have been made into movies, and um, and he's a great guy. And one of the things he pointed out was that the book we read, after, even after 20-some-odd New York Times best-selling books, the books we read by Michael Connolly are usually the fourth or fifth edit of that given book. Yeah. Yeah. And if Michael Connolly is willing to go through that many edits of his books, after all these years of being a mega New York Times best-selling author, the rest of us should be too. I, you're, you're preaching to the choir, sister, because I, I learned my lesson on that first book about how many times that we had to go through the editing process to the point I was tired of looking at my own material. I mean, I, I was I was simply just tired of looking at it, and I understood though that that's that's just part of this the process. I want, I want to I want to ask a question because I get this question a lot casually when people see I've written a book, and I I, I get this, you know, they'll go, yeah, well, I'm going to pitch this book at Simon and Schuster or Penguin and stuff like that, and I will say something to them. I will say, well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's just I mean they get what 400,000 manuscripts a year or something like that is that right something like that is it first of all they're not going to take you over the transom and that expression comes from the days when doors had transoms over them those right. windows that opened over the doors right. and you know the idea of pitching a manuscript up over the transom right. it's an old expression they won't take a, a manuscript directly from you. That manuscript has to come through an agent. And let me illuminate how that usually works. There are very few agents to whom you will send a manuscript where that manuscript will go directly in front of that agent. Most agents these days in the larger agencies have readers. And usually those readers are recent college graduates who go through the stacks and stacks of manuscripts that come into an agency and they'll weed through them and pick out the ones they think the agent should look at. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to leave my manuscript up to a 20-something to decide on. Right. So the gatekeeper, before it even gets to the agent, is usually someone else. Got it. If it manages to get to the agent, and the agent falls in love with the manuscript, and then the agent pitches it to the publisher, and the editor at the publishing house says, I love this, I want to buy this for whatever major publishing house we're talking about. It's not like the old days where if the agent loved the manuscript and wanted to buy it, it was a done deal. The agent will then say, what's the writer's platform? Meaning, what has the writer been doing to create a following of people who will be ready and waiting for this book? And then the editor will say, now I have to bring this before my sales and marketing team. So if you don't have a website, if you're not prepared to do a website, if you're not savvy about marketing, there's a chance you're not going to get a contract, especially with a nonfiction book. 
You know, there's always that lightning can strike a fiction writer, but it is very, very rare for lightning to strike a nonfiction writer. A nonfiction writer has to be positioned for success before a publisher is going to take them on. So it is quite the process. People will say, well, then I'll just self-publish. The problem is, is when you go to just self-publish, if you do it without an understanding of the publishing industry, what you're going to do is you're going to put a half-baked book. By that I truly do, I'm doing an analogy to baking. A half-baked book up online and put it out there, and it's going to be very hard for you to build a constituency for it because the book is not ready. It's just not ready unless you've gone through all the steps that the publishing house would go through. The benefits of self-publishing are that you make a heck of a lot more on every single book sold. Sure, sure. So one of the things, you know, I've told people that, you know, my first book, I'm, I'm, still, in, I'm still in the hole on my first book. I mean, well in the hole. I mean, it cost me far more money to between the coaching, the editors, the cover design. I paid 5000 I'm just going to be honest. I paid $5,000 for my cover. Okay, this, and and Jared Curret said to me when I told him how much I paid for cover, he said, "Did it cure cancer?" That was what he was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would say that. That's what Jared said. I would have said the same thing. <laughs> is what he said to me when I, you know, told him about the book cover, and it was, you know, I I interviewed, you know, people who did, you know, best selling covers for Got Social Mediology and and everything, and and I spent a ton of money and course went through a distributor uh, whose name is going to go nameless here I was with a distributor and that was costing me money and we put together a marketing platform where I had my book in every people don't understand how much it costs to be in every uh, airport bookstore and every bookstore in New York City you know on the uh, subway system you know and how much it costs how much all that costs because that marketing cost is expensive to get my book seen and people don't understand that that comes out of your pocket you know when you when you don't have if you don't have a major publisher who's doing the marketing that that money comes out of your own pocket if you want to be successful I mean it's just okay but but I'm, I'm gonna stop you there the major publishers these days don't do that marketing for you generally generally almost for nobody unless you're already successful right so you're going to be paying for the marketing, right. whether you self-publish or right. you publish through a publishing house. Right. Either way, you're going to be paying for a majority of the publishing of the uh, marketing. Yeah. Either way, well, yeah. so understand that. I don't think people do. I really think that people think that they write this book and it just sells itself, and it, and it doesn't. These books do not sell themselves. Matter of fact, I was at a uh, conference. Um, the um, IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association. And I was at their publishing mm-hmm. university conference, and Wharton College was there, and they had done all these research on books. And they they had, like, m- came up with this statistic that basically 99% of the books that ever come out in the market never sell 1,000 copies. That's and right. Never. In fact, in fact, 99% of them, uh, a huge number of them, don't sell 50 copies. Because they are not positioned. Because I I know people who put their books up without having a website. Yeah. It is um, okay. I want to explain something about bookstores to people. That's the other dream a lot of people have is right. to get their books into bookstores. Yep. Understand that bookstores don't make their money selling your books. The majority of money made by most bookstores is. By renting out space. By that, what I mean is, is if you walk into a major chain bookstore, every end cap, every tabletop is real estate. Near the front cash wrap, all the books that are up there, they, the publishers rent the space to give those books prime location. It's all rental space. It's called co-op. And even if you had a lot of money to buy co-op, you probably couldn't get it because the major publishers have bought it out years in advance right. for their books. The other problem with being in a bookstore is that a third to a half of the books that 
get sent back from a bookstore are damaged. So if you're self-publishing and your books are in a bookstore, you get a whole lot of books back that are damaged. Why do you get them back? Because there's a thing where they have to pay for those books. If they have to keep those books 90 days, they have to pay for them. So on the 89th day, they put them in a box and they send them back to you. And then the next day, they may order more of the same book. Yep. But they'll send them back just so they don't have to pay for them. The books that are in that store are there on consignment. Yes. And they don't get paid for until sell-through. So having your books on Amazon or on BN.com is a far better idea right. if you're self-publishing because nobody's going to manhandle them. Right. And also, there are far fewer returns of books. Bookstores have turned into lending libraries. People will buy books at bookstores, take them home, read them, and bring them back. Yeah. And bookstores have their, because bookstores have your books on consignment, they have very liberal return policies. Yes, they do. Doesn't hurt them if your book is returned. No. Doesn't cost them anything. It costs you. Yeah. Most people who buy online don't return the books. It's, it's true. It, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. Listen, I, I, you, you know, I've been, I've been in every bookstore across this country and I'm, I, I'm still am. The book is still in bookstores, in some bookstores, and and also in Canada. Canada's Chapters bookstore has been very good, but it's consignment. And I know that when I was with a particular distributor, one of the things that they did is they held back any royalties to me uh, because of possibility of returns. And, mm-hmm. and then and then what happens? What people don't understand is. When people buy your book from, say, Barnes and Noble, right? If they if they buy if they buy my book, Barnes takes thirty five percent. They're thirty five percent off the top, and mm-hmm. and then they will return my books. Many of them come back damaged. If if you have an agreement with the distributor, you have to tell them to dispose of the damaged books because if you don't, they charge you for the storage of those books. Mm-hmm. What people what people don't understand is you can't if you're if you if you have a national printer print 5000 copies or how many thousands of copies you're going to print. Somebody's got to store the books cuz you can't you cannot fulfill that those books yourself. The, the, the bookstore will not allow you to f- do that book fulfillment. That's just not going to happen. If you think you could put them in your garage and that that you're gonna that you're gonna somehow get them into the bookstores, you would be sadly mistaken. But it it this this business of consignment, people don't understand. People think that oh, you know, I had you know a thousand copies of my book shipped to Barnes and Noble. I've just made and there it's twenty dollars a book. I have just made twenty thousand dollars. Oh no 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 no. Oh no. No. no, 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 no. It's it's just not it's not the way it works. And this business, people don't understand the business side of this. And I I had to take. I mean, I learned a hard lesson. I mean, at first, I learned a really hard lesson about this book business, and it cost okay. a lot, lot of money. I need to say two things. Number one, publishing a book, a book, creating a book. It's not like Field of Dreams. Just because you write it, they will not necessarily come. Right. That's number one. Number two, books used to have a shelf life of, and, and in bookstores, they have a shelf life of somewhere between milk and yogurt. If your book doesn't sell within a certain number of weeks and doesn't show a pattern of sales, the entire stack of your books is going to be returned. Yep, it's true. And, and don't feel like a bookstore is the be-all, end-all in fact, in most cases, we tell clients, don't look to put your book in bookstores anymore. Right. Unless it's a specialty book in a specialty bookstore, don't look to put it in. Right. It's just the way it is. There's the majority of books sell on, excuse me, online anyway. Right. It's, it's much simpler. The other thing to look at when you're thinking of, of writing a book and publishing a book is how you're going to sell it because the way you're going to sell it should determine your method of publication. For example, if you're writing a novel and all you want to do is write novels, you don't want to be involved in cover design or in anything else, then go ahead and look for an agent and and look for a publishing house. 
because you are just you just, you know all you want to be is a writer. If you know you can't change hats and one day be a writer, and when you need to be a publisher, look for an agent. Right. But let's say you're a person who's planning on doing an awful lot of speaking. Right. Or let's say you're someone who wants to have special market sales. Let's say you've written a book on what to look for when buying a home, and you think, I'm going to sell this to realty companies at a discount for them to give as a premium to their clients. Well, then... You not only want to self-publish, but you want to line up a good offset printer, someone who traditionally prints those books when needed so that when you're selling them in quantity of 500 or more, you're paying a lot less to print the books. You also want to be up online. So there's a whole lot of different things to think about. Let's say you're just a speaker. You might want to think about self-publishing because if you're with a major publishing house and you want to buy books to sell back of the room, you're generally going to buy those books at between 50 and 60% of the cover price. That's right. So to make it easy, if your book is priced at $10, you're going to be pay between 5 and $6 plus shipping costs for any every one of those books that you buy to sell back of the room. doesn't leave you much of a margin to discount that book and make it um, and still let it be profitable when you sell it as a takeaway after you after you speak. Right. If you self-publish it, even if you do it print on demand, you're paying a couple of bucks for that book, and you're making the majority of the money on the back of the room sales, and you have a lot more flexibility. So you need to learn all these things and think about them when you decide your method of publication. And I realize this is a lot for our audience to chew on, but for any of you out there who are thinking of it, you can learn this so easily. It is not smoke and mirrors. It is very practical, very straightforward thinking. And um, it's one of the reasons I put together the conference, because back in in 2000, in, in 2001, I saw where the industry was going. And to give you an example, back then, anybody who signed with a publishing house signed a contract that said that you got to, when your book went out of print for two years, your rights reverted to you. Right. Right? Right. Now, Jay, if, um, if books don't go out of print, so anybody who has that contract may never get their rights back because all a publisher has to do is put that book up on print-on-demand, which costs them absolutely nothing. That's right. And they can keep the rights to that book forever. So back in 2001, with the first La Jolla Writers' Conference, I started saying to people, if you get an offer of a contract from a publishing house, have your agent negotiate in that when sales go below a certain number per year, your rights revert back to you. See, see, this is this is why Antoinette. This is why I think people need to go. Listen, folks. Did you hear this? See, this is information I was paying for, learning along the way. I was paying a lot of money to learn this information, and I'm going to tell you something. You can simplify the process and save yourself a whole bunch of money if you will simply go to the La Jolla Writers Conference, October 26th through the 28th. And I don't care if you're an aspiring author who hasn't put pen to paper yet. Or if you're someone who's in, been intending to write a book for years because you have a you want a speaking career like I did, or it's part of your business, or you you're at that point where you think you've got this thing ready to be submitted to agents or someone who maybe just I just want to know more about this book industry. I am telling you, you need to go to the La Jolla Writers Conference. Again, it's October 26th through 28th. It is an amazing conference. It's non-commercial, folks. These are the faculty and staff are volunteers. These are best-selling authors. These are publishers. These are agents. These are screenwriters. These are writing and PR experts. And they're going to be available for an entire weekend. There's going to be over 70 classes. I'm telling you, the La Jolla Writers Conference is where you want to go. And and you're listening to Antoinette and I talk about all these things that are part of this whole book process. And I, so many people fail in this process because there's so much that you're not considering. I promise you, you probably do 
what 99% of the people typically do when you're thinking about writing a book, I'm just going to write the book, I'm going to post it on Amazon, I'm going to go through Create Space, and people are just going to flock to it. Uh, folks, it's a business. I had to learn, the one thing that I had to learn is that if you're going to write books, then you need to understand the business of writing books. And it was not an easy thing for me to wrap my mind around because I just, like everyone else, thought this is the way it was going to be. It didn't happen that way. And so now that I have a better idea, I not only saved myself literally thousands of dollars because of the experience, but I have literally have a better idea of now how to market my book, what I need to do to be more successful with my book. And, and I'm telling you, this is why you want to go to the La Jolla Writers Conference. Again, it's www.lajoyawritersconference.com. You shouldn't miss it. If you're missing it, you're going to be missing out on being successful. And Antoinette, this, this, this gets me to the next point because I can hear listeners screaming at me going, well, then how do I, you know, how, how do I make my, how do I get my book to be a bestseller? How do I do that? Wow. Um, okay. First, write the best book you can. Okay. That's number one. Number two, build a platform. I, I speak regularly around the country, and I've done so for 20-some-odd years. I've been in, this, in the book business since 1994. And um, writers are so reluctant to pay for a website. <laughs> They're so reluctant to pay for an edit, a good edit. They're so reluctant if they're self-publishing to pay for a good cover. Well, here's the thing, folks. If you were starting a coffee cart, let's think of a simple business, a coffee cart. You would be investing in the cart. You would take the time to learn how to work the machinery, how to make a latte versus a whatever and a whatever. I don't know enough about the different coffee. But you would learn about the different coffees. You would... You would vet the the um, suppliers to see who's a good supplier and who's not a good supplier, and you would end up spending twenty to thirty thousand dollars just minimum, minimum, to get a coffee cart off the ground. It's you would look at it and you'd say it's a business. If you were starting a boutique, you'd rent a shop. You'd put in you'd put in shelving. You'd put in flooring. You'd put in mirrors. Then you'd first have to stock the shop. Same thing. You'd spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars before you got off the ground. Writing is not just an art. The writing itself is an art form. But there's a business that goes with it. And you have to know and understand the business if you want to get anywhere with it. You have to understand what it means to build a platform. And Jay, I know you can speak endlessly about platform building, especially using social media to do that. And um, you have to understand social media and how best to use it. And social media doesn't have to take you 20 hours a week. No. You can be very effective in two to three hours a week, sure. but you have to understand how to do it. Um, you need to do some media. You need, you need to prep yourself. You need to get media training because I don't care if you are a speaker and you're wonderful in front of audiences. Right. When you're in front of an audience, you can gauge body language. Right. You can look at people and know when you're, when you're reaching them and when you're not. You can change the tone of your voice. You can change the pace of how you speak. Right. When you're on a radio show, you have none of that. When you're on TV, you have none of that. You have to know how to get your point across and what your calls to action are. What you really want to do at the end of a, any radio show you're on or any TV show you're on is offer people more information on your website and drive them to your website. Why? Because the call to action is there on your website. Buy my book, book me to speak, whatever the calls to action are. The problem with most writers is they don't prepare for all of this. And they're impatient. The book is finished, you know, the design is finished, the book is finished, they want it up for sale. They don't take the time to go after the reviews. The reviews are very important, both the, the trade reviews from the magazines that 
actually sell books to the vendors and uh, or or where the vendors read about the books and the bloggers who talk about books and bloggers who have followings and and when they recommend things their followers will look into them so there's so many steps too many steps to go through in in 5 minutes sure. and I'm I'm monologuing here but you have to prepare you have to be willing to do the work and it doesn't happen overnight the average writer has to produce and be successful with five to six books before they earn a living wage. That doesn't, you know, none of that shocks me. None of, none of that shocks me that that's how long it takes. And, and that's why people, I think that's why people write one book and that's, that's it. And it's really more of a vanity book, I think, more than it is something that, I think they believe that it's going to be read, but the truth is it's more of a vanity book. It's it's it is it is a labor. It's a for me. It's a labor of love. I I, I didn't know I was going to like writing. I do like it, and I want to do more of it. Which is why you know we're going to be having our second, third, and fourth books coming out. But it's this isn't easy. You have to have a business plan. I I remember Maggie Lichtenberg was my book coach. I don't know if you remember Maggie, but she was my book coach. She made me do a stinking business plan for my book. Literally everything from how many people I thought were going to read it, who was my target audience, why would they want That's to read called it? a book proposal. Yeah, I mean, they, she made me, it was like 30 pages long. She made mm-hmm. me do this thing. It was the greatest experience of my life because I thought I was just going to write a book. And, and it, it re- I tell people that all the time, Jay. I tell them... If you're going to write a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and traditionally you don't have to do a book proposal for a fiction book, but I tell them to write a book proposal, and I give them all the elements of a book proposal, and, you know, I thought I was one of the few who didn't. I'm glad that your original coach told you to do that because it's your business plan. You wouldn't start any other business without a business plan. What makes you think you can start the business of writing, and writing is a business, what makes you think you can start the business of writing without a business plan? I, I don't think so. And that leads me to the other question because you kind of alluded to it a little bit, and I want to, and I know we're getting closer on time, but I really want to get an answer to this. Well, there's a there's a big difference in the book publishing world between fiction and nonfiction. Why? Huge. Huge difference. Explain that difference, and why is there such a disparity? Because I'm a nonfiction writer. But I know a lot of people who are out there who want to write fiction. Explain that disparity and why one is harder or easier than the other. Well, if you're a nonfiction writer, you generally are giving some sort of advice or some takeaway in writing, okay? Um, so you are much more viable for media. There are a lot of articles you can write, um, a lot of blogging you can do that people are going to have, they're going to feel like, they're taking something away. We're all, when you get down to it, the psychology of human beings is generally what's in it for me. Yes, we like to give. But even when we give, we give because it makes us feel good, right? Everything we do has a what's in it for me. So when people are booking you for media or they're accepting your articles, if you're a nonfiction writer, you're writing about stuff that educates and informs. And if you can entertain while you educate and inform, all the better. Am I making sense to absolutely, you? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, if you're a fiction writer, in order to be able to access media, whether it's print media, whether it's blogging, whether it's radio, whether it's TV, you also have to create takeaways. Things that people can listen to you say and feel like they've gotten something from. Mm -hmm. And I'm always challenged by, whenever I speak, I'm challenged by the fiction writers because I I do this class where it's it's kind of the beginning of media training where I help people find their media hooks. And and we'll start usually, somebody who writes nonfiction will raise their hand and go, oh, I've got my hook. And... A fiction writer will stand up, and inevitably, a fiction writer will stand up and say, well, that's nonfiction, that's easy. I write fiction, you can't find a hook for me. 
Well, you always can. Because <laughs> even if you're a fiction writer, what you've got to think of is what your messaging is, what you've written about. A lot of fiction writers do research in order to write sure. their books, whether it's forensic research or it's research about a particular area of the world. They do some research. And think of, of what that is as your book is the hub of a wheel. And any topic you talk about on the air is like the spoke of a wheel. It only has to just pinpoint touch that hub of the wheel, the book. So long as you can give good information to people and entertain them and engage them, they're going to be interested in you and there's a good chance they're going to go to your website. And if you get them interested on your website, there's a good chance they're going to follow your call to action, which for most writers is buy my book. So fiction writers discount that. And they think, well, we just have to be found. They don't. They need to be proactive, just like nonfiction writers. The other thing is nonfiction writers very often will have a special, uh, uh, they'll have the ability to do special market sales. Yeah. Or they will um, be able to speak and sell back of the room. It comes naturally out of the information they're sharing. Sure. Fiction writers have to groom themselves to be able to do the same thing. Right. Got it. So let me ask you this. In terms of book sales, fiction or nonfiction sells more? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, that is something I don't know. I know romance is or was traditionally, uh, women's fiction was traditionally the largest selling segment. I don't even know if it still is. I don't bother myself with that. I, I know you can find those statistics online, but I haven't bothered myself with it in a long time because I feel that anybody who puts themselves out there well right. has the capacity to sell a lot of books. You just have to do all the steps. Agreed. For instance, I will, if, a, if somebody calls me and says, um, you're a publicist, and I, I stopped being just a publicist by 2002. But if somebody says, well, you're a publicist, I want you to book me, I'll pay you to book me 35 radio shows. Right. And I go, that's all you want? And they'll go, yeah. And I'll go, no. Hmm. It would be a waste of your money. Right. And, and they'll ask me why. And I'll say, well, because I'd want to review your website and make sure that it is ready to translate visitors into buyers. That's number one. Number two, I'd want to do media training with you so that you are to be on the air and get your message across to people right. and get them to go to your website or follow your call to action. Also, I don't want to put you on the air on radio if you're going to bomb because then I'll never be able to book another person on the show that I sent you to again. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that you have, you have media topics that you're comfortable talking about that will resonate right. with the largest segment of the population possible right. so there's a whole bunch of things people will go out and they'll they'll sign up with someone to sell them you know 25 radio shows for four thousand right. dollars total waste of their money yeah, total no. waste of money nothing comes of it I, 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 people will sign up for what they call thousands of dollars on that if you just go and do a blog tour total waste of your money your marketing and PR need to be coordinated with everything else you are doing. Uh, it, there's, there's a choreography to making publication successful. Right. And you're, and you're, and you're right. Listen, I, I, I know that one of the things that, you know, I had to do that was recommended to me from Jared Kuritz, uh, part of strategiespr.com, www.strategiespr.com. He, he, I, I literally hired a, marketing company just to do my website because it needed to be so upgraded you know especially mm -hmm. with more books and it it made a huge difference by the way it's it's because it looked because you know I listen I've written websites for years but to have somebody make it professional the way that it should have been from day one uh, was an expense I should have invested in up front, and I didn't. Listen, I want to ask you, you've been so gracious because I know we're running out of time. And by the way, today's show has been brought to you by the La Jolla Writers Conference. It's www.lajolla, L-A-J-O-L-L-A, writersconference.com. 
The La Jolla Writers Conference is October 26th through 28th at the Hyatt Regency La Jolla. I think I got that right. I did. And the, con- did. the, the La Jolla Writers Conference is a non-commercial, informal, and intimate maximum of 200 attendees. The entire faculty and staff, including the best-selling authors, publishers, agents, songwriters, songwriters, screenwriters, writing and PR experts are all volunteers and are available all weekend, providing over 70 classes from which to choose. Antoinette, you're going to be there uh, as well I am. because you're the founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference. So wh- why don't you why don't you kind of wrap us up? Give us, give us first of all, why should somebody consider the Writers Conference? And what about the 20, what, what's going to be great about the 2018 La Jolla Writers Conference? Go to, you go to a writers conference, not just to um, not just to learn art and craft of writing, but to learn the business of writing. You go to a conference to network. You go to a conference to become part of a, commu- a writing community. We have, every year, we have about 50 people who've been there before. Whoop, and that, it's, what's so much fun that. is we don't Whoop, open let, the first conference Central until noon. Antoinette, repeat that and people will often you. show up two hours early just to meet and greet people that they haven't seen for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You become part of a writing community. What about our conference is that we're intimate. And I don't allow any commercialism at the conference. I say to people, you know, if you've got something to sell, put a flyer out about it out in Conference Central. And if you teach great classes, when people go to Conference Central, they may want to buy what you have to offer, but you are not allowed to sell anything in class. It, I don't want any upselling there. And um, you come you come and spend three days, and you find your place as a writer. You are, you know, you're given permission to just concentrate on this, this thing that you want to do, that you want to learn about. And I promise you, you... You will learn so much and you will be so tired because we go from one o'clock on Friday till about two in the morning. We do we start again at seven AM on Saturday and go till about two in the morning and we start at seven AM on Sunday and go until about four in the afternoon. <laughs> so there's no sleep. We just we just we're gonna get information through a fire hose. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I do um I do the early morning classes, the 7 a.m. classes, and we are diabolical. We do this thing called the seven-minute pitches where you, you come into a room alone and there are um, agents and editors and me and a screenwriter in the room, and you pitch us your book. Yep. And many times I've seen agents just hand people your their card. You're not standing in a long line and you get one minute with people. You get seven minutes. Right. You get two minutes to pitch, and then we give you feedback for five minutes. And, but in, and everybody wants to sign up for that. It's free. And in order to sign up for that, the only time you can sign up for that is at 6.45 a.m. Oh, and you have to, in order to get into that, you have to go to the 7 a.m. business class. That's uh, how much I want people uh, to take the business classes. So it is, um, it's, it's a great weekend. It is an absolutely nonstop great weekend. I have, everybody leaves feeling like part of a community and, um, and it's energizing. It will energize your writing, and you will save thousands of dollars in the long run because of what you learn there. That's that's awesome. And I wish I would. I wish I would have went before I wrote my first book. I really did because I had to be educated here over, with you over the last few years of doing this to to learn that. And I'm going to go. I won't be able to go this year, but I'm going. <laughs> for sure next year and i'm looking forward to next year is november uh, i think it's the second to the fourth yeah i'm going next year because of those dates so i'm really excited about getting out there next year because this is going to be a great conference i'm just telling you folks i'm just telling you it's just an amazing going to be an amazing experience you need to go Uh, these folks antoinette uh, her husband richard and and jared they have worked with me for since the very beginning of the first book and I'm just telling you, it's made a difference for me in terms of learning about the industry, how to save myself literally thousands of dollars, and putting myself in a position to even be better. And it's 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 going to pay you back dividends if you can do it in a weekend versus doing it over the course of several years. So I'm just asking you to please don't just consider going to the La Jolla Writers Conference. Book it. www.lahoyawriters.com. 
um, conference.com is where you need to go. Antoinette, you have been an amazing guest. I want to thank you so much for your time because it has been, it, it's gone and we've went over. That's how much fun <laughs> I've had today. And I love that. I love that when I can have guests like you and every one of them seems to be that way where we're having the, the conversation at the kitchen table and at the kitchen counter doing what we do and everybody's around listening and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for helping my folks out there who are listening, who are looking for a new direction and writing I know is part of finding their new direction and I want to thank you for being so candid and honest and caring and informational. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Jay. I had a great time. This is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what? We're going to close another show because sadly it's over and I hate saying it's over because folks you need to find a new direction you know how easy it is to find a new direction it's it's not one big giant step it's one small step at a time it's a baby step right I just you just point yourself in that direction take one small step towards whatever the dream is whatever the goal is whatever that direction you want to take in your life or your business or your career and take that one small step because you'll never get into momentum unless you take that small step first so go find yourself a new direction. And one easy way to do that is be inspired. Because when you're, when you're inspired, you can inspire someone else. And inspiration is the beginning to motivation and to change. I will see you next week on New Direction. Thank you all very much. I will talk to you soon. Confidence and the answers don't make sense. You got to keep your hope alive. You got to know you can survive. This is your time to find a new direction, a brand new day, a new direction. Things are gonna change. Can't find the strength to go a different way.